You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your food. For your food. Oh, thank you, God, for your grace, for your love. And uh, Lord, I thank you for this space as well. And I just want to pray a blessing over Prairie Hills Elementary School. Be with this school. Be with the teachers. And I pray that, that people who come into this gym sense your presence in some way. I pray that they are told about Jesus in this gym, Lord. May that happen, God. Thank you, God, for providing for us. And I just ask you now to may your Holy Spirit fill me and work through me. Um, God, according to Isaiah 61, um, work through me like you did with Philip and like you did with Stephen and so many others in the Bible. And God, I pray that you crack open hearts today. I pray hearts are changed. I pray people are surprised with an encounter with you. Uh, None of this means anything unless you show up, Jesus, unless your Holy Spirit is present, and that's what we want more, more than anything else. So bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you come to church today expecting God to move? That what, that what, did you come expecting God to move? I mean, did you come just thinking, oh my word, God has a word for me today? Um, is that why you're here at church? What's your view of church? What's your view of church? Some of you, the view of church is kind of like working out at a rec club. You know you should do it. You know it's good for you, but don't always get to work out. Uh, others of you, maybe your view of church is like Costco or something like that. You go when you, need, you know, when you need to get filled up and you need to restock. You go to Costco and you restock and that kind of thing. What is your view of church? For some of you, your view of church is where you spend one hour and 15 minutes in the week. That's what you call church. You don't talk to anyone during the week at church. You're not part of a small group or whatever it is. Others of you, church might be a little bit different. You might be part of a small group. People might know you here and you connect with other people and you're in it and you're going to stay in it and you're faithful and you're committed. So we're in this series called Unleashed. And we've been looking at the book of Acts. This is the early church. And what we're doing is we're rebooting Thorn Creek Church. I want to make sure everybody understands that. It's kind of like when you have to clean your phone and reboot it because it's getting too slow or your computer that's getting really slow and you have to reboot it. This is what the church looked like in the early days. Okay, You can find the book of Acts right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you have the book of Acts. These guys are the courageous guys. These guys are the ones who are responsible for the unleashing power of the Holy Spirit and spreading the gospel everywhere they went, and they were courageous Christians. Their lives were in danger because they called themselves Christians. Quickly, 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 people were separated. You couldn't go through the motions of being a Christian during those days. Either you were or you weren't. And if you were, you knew your life was in jeopardy. So we're walking through this book of Acts, and we're looking at what does the early church look like. So it's so appropriate. Today, I thought, or tonight, I thought it'd be, you know, in light of this being our last weekend at Prairie Hills Elementary School, I wanted to share with you how God has been moving. Let me just say this. God's path is good. God's path is good. I was talking to a pastor today at Starbucks, and he was sitting down by me. I told this to the team earlier this morning. Uh, He was sitting by me, and and, uh, when I started Thorn Creek Church in my living room back early, early on in September, or early on in 2002, you know, you have in your mind 
like the path it's going to take, a plan. And maybe you have a plan, like a plan for success or a plan to go from here to, to here. Whatever it is in your mind, you have a plan of how you're going to grow and excel and succeed. And what I've discovered with church, at least in my life, is, it, is everything that's happened in the last 16 years, um, virtually none of it was planned out the way I thought it would be planned out. Initially, when I set out the plan, I thought it, would, it might, you know, vary maybe five degrees, three degrees from what I, I was so wrong. The only thing I can tell you is we have a faithful God. You have a faithful God. And God will see you through it if you stay faithful. If you stay faithful to God and you seek him above all else, God will take care of your marriage and your home and your future. You don't have to worry about any of that as long as you put Jesus first. I want to show you how God has worked here at Thorn Creek. In September 2002, Grace and I moved here to Thornton, Colorado. Never lived in Thornton before. I didn't even know how to pronounce Thornton. It's Thornton, but it's Thornton. You know, some of you well pronounce it differently. In January 2003, we had our first home gathering. This is when I used to go knocking on doors. And we had three strangers show up. That was the first time I ever met them. They showed up and we met in my living room and I gave them a little card for them to fill out to say they were going to commit themselves to Thorn Creek and, and give me their firstborn kids. And they said yes. February 2003, we met at Fairfield Inn. I'm just kidding about the kids. Uh, Fairfield Inn, and uh, we met there on Wednesday nights with seven people during those days. Seven people, and then in in April two, uh, twenty, excuse me, yeah, April twenty two thousand three. This was our this is our birthday right here at Thorn Creek. That's Thorn Creek's first public service, and we we met at the Adams School District, and we had one hundred and fifty people showed up. Um, about one hundred and twenty five of them were strangers. It was the quietest Thorn Creek has ever been. Because when you sit with strangers, nobody talks to anybody. You just talk to the person you went to church with, and you don't talk to anyone else. That's what it was like. July 2003, we moved into the Autotro building, which is Westgate School now. And then in August, we were evicted. And then in August 2012, we moved to the old Stargate School location over here in Colorado on Cottonwood Lakes. And we bought this small church building that was right behind it. If that never happened, if we never would have became portable, we became portable in August 2012. That's when we became portable. And portable means we set up and tear down for church every single weekend. That's a, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. We're, being, we're a mobile church. If you're wondering what a portable church is, just open your eyes. We're in a gym. This is a portable church. Okay? So we, were, we moved to the Stargate School during those days, and we bought this little building. And we never would have bought that little building if we were not evicted. We never would have bought that building if we didn't become portable. And I'm sharing that with you because sometimes God puts you in situations where, where there's pain or there's discomfort and you're pushed to a certain place, but you, but you grow because of that. You grow because of that. And, and I want you to hold, just hold on to that. In June 2016, we were evicted again. And then we moved to this place called Prairie Hills Elementary School in July 2016. May 2019, I just put that there because coffee was prohibited and I thought that was a turning point in, in Prairie Hills. To celebrate this, I have Starbucks coming right now. They're going to bring 100 cinnamon dulce lattes to everyone and we're going to drink them right now in here. Feel free to spill. <laughs> Someone's saying, well, I want a Frappuccino. <laughs> uh, in July, here it is, we are going to move to Mission Trace building. So, so I, you know, you could do something like that in your own life, couldn't you? If you looked at your own life and you saw where you were and where you're at, you could see the faithfulness of God and how God has moved. 
And it's important to see that. It's important to see God at work. God doesn't do anything by accident. You have a God who's intentional. You're here right now because God drew you to this church. He's an intentional God, and there's a purpose for you. That's the kind of God we have. Acts chapter 8. Here we go, guys. We're going to talk about this guy named Philip. Philip's a rock star. Philip is the guy who was chosen with Stephen, who was stoned to death. He was one of the seven that was chosen earlier to take care of these senior adults who were being neglected. And you see the early church, they, re- they recognize, hey, the gospel needs to be spreading, but we have this problem with these senior adults not eating, and they're not full-blooded Jews. They're Jews, but they speak Greek, and they're, not, they're Hellenists. So somebody's got to take care of them. They're being neglected. And then they prayed about it, and they said, hey, here's seven godly people. And one of those godly people was Philip. And you see him pop up over and over and over. Here's chapter 8, verse 25, says this. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, where were they at, church? Where where were they preaching the word? Samaria, okay? Uh, Then what happened? Peter and John returned to where? This is so important. Peter and John, these are like the heavy hitters. This is the the heavyweight guys. These guys are, are the guns. Peter and John, they go back to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way. Why? to preach. Come on, church, help me out. To preach the good news. That's what they're doing. So everywhere they're going, they're telling people about Jesus. And then there's three words in the next verse. Go to verse 26. Let's read these first three words out loud. As for Philip. Stop right there. That phrase right there, it's a term of contrast. It marks a change of direction in the ministry of Philip. And it's a contrast from Peter and John who's going to Jerusalem. And and it's saying, but as for Philip, God has another plan for him. What's the plan? An angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the, what church? The, that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Anyone ever been on a desert road before? Just that road that's just, maybe it's dusty, maybe there's nothing around you. And sometimes when you take road trips, you know, you go through these desert places and you're thinking, Lord Jesus, I pray that nothing happens to my car right now (laughs) because there's nothing around me. But there's sometimes there's desert roads in our life that are maybe more, more spiritual or, you know, or emotional. You go through a place of depression, or, or you go through this tough place, or tough in your marriage, or whatever it is. You go through these desert roads that challenge your faith and your theology. And Philip goes down south towards this desert road. It literally means the city is deserted. That's literally what it means. Now, this is important because there's two roads that come out of Jerusalem to Gaza. There's two roads. One is known as the King's Highway, And that's the road that everyone knows. But there's this one road that is seldomly used. It's known as the desert road. So the angel of the Lord tells Philip, don't go on the king's highway. Go on the road less traveled. Go on that road. I want you to hear this. God uses desert roads to grow your faith. This is a picture, actually, of my son. This was when we were in Peru, and he was drinking water that we thought he was going to die like the next 10 minutes or grow another digit or something. But he was fine. He's still fine. I think he is. But sometimes God allows you and lets you go on desert roads to grow your faith. Some of you are at church right now because you're on a desert road. 
And, and for some of you, church happens when you think, I'm on a desert road, I must go to church. Some people are wired that way. And you go to church because you're on this desert road. Um, and the thing about the desert roads, when, what I've discovered when God puts you on these roads, he puts you on these roads because he wants you to learn his presence. He wants you to learn to hear his voice. Sometimes he separates you from all the false lovers, all the false gods that you've been worshiping. He separates you from those false gods, from those false lovers, and he wants to take you to this lonely place where you're forced, the only thing you can hear is his voice. And you work through all of that stuff, and God intentionally leads you to that place. Because anytime God looks at your heart, and anytime he sees that you start worshiping someone else, another woman, another man, a thing, an it, whatever it is, he starts seeing that you start worshiping them, then he's going to take you down a desert road. How do you know if you're worshiping something else? Where do, you, where do you spend most of your time? What do you look at? Where does your money go? Who are you with? Who do you love being with? That's who you're worshiping. <clears throat> when you're a portable church, you face desert roads. You face desert roads. Um, <clears throat> one of the things, you know, even coming to, to, to church all the time in a school and just, it just requires a lot of perseverance. Perseverance. <clears throat> I was talking to someone, and, and um, they were asking me, aren't you excited that you're going to be in a 24-7 space? And I'll just be honest with you guys. I've been in this mode of like, it's like fighting, persevering mode that I'm in this, like I can do this for another 20 years. I know that's really horrible to say out loud. But that's, the, that's where I have to be at. I have to live like that. Trusting God. I remember one time while we were portable, this is while we were here, we gathered together at Starbucks, and I'll never forget that infamous day at 2.30. Um, our staff comes and tells me, hey, guess what? Our trailer has been stolen. The trailer that contains all the sound equipment. We discovered at 2 o'clock, 2.30, that Saturday afternoon, we were doing church on, Sunday, on that Saturday night at 6 o'clock. And we discovered the trailer had been stolen and quickly rallied. We have such a phenomenal team, quickly rallied. Or I remember the other day, maybe you remember this, our janitor overslept on Sunday morning. So we were all standing outside and we couldn't come into the building because the janitor overslept. That stuff happens when you're in a portable church. I can't tell you how many times lights and projectors and the sound system just mysteriously has shut off. Have you been in any of those services here at Thorn Creek? It's mysteriously shut off. Well, things happen like that when you go off on a desert road. Verse 27, here's what happens. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. Treasurer of Ethiopia. This is an Ethiopian guy. <laughs> literally, he's literally a Gentile from Africa. He's a Gentile from Africa. When you look back at Acts, God tells the early church, Jesus tells the early church, the Holy Spirit says, you're going to be my witnesses all the way to the ends of the earth. This is to the end of the earth. He's, this is an Ethiopian that comes, and he happens to be a eunuch, hold on to that, of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. So this is a person who has influence. This is a person who has a close relationship 
with this queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem. Why did this eunuch go to Jerusalem? To what? To go to church, to worship. Seated, oh, excuse me, and verse 20 says, and he was now returning. So he's now coming back from church. This Ethiopian eunuch. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. All right, let me, let me unpack this just a little bit. What is a eunuch? No guy wants to be a eunuch. It literally means a, a, a kept, keep a bed and describes one in charge of the bedchamber. Here's what it is. A eunuch is a man who has been castrated for the purpose of trusted servitude in a royal household. This is a great thing to talk about on family weekend worship, isn't it? Right, guys? <laughs> a king would often castrate his servants to ensure they would not be tempted to engage in sexual activity with others in the palace or to prevent their plotting and overthrow. Or, or eunuchs were incapable of setting up a dynasty of their own. Eunuchs have been employed in many civilizations, including the ancient Middle East. Now, it's important to understand that because the rabbinic view, the Old Testament view, the, the, Mo, the law of Moses consider the eunuch as being in violation of God's command to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, eunuchs were excluded from the Israelite community of worship, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23. But in Isaiah chapter 56... It talks about eunuchs, and there's hope. And the reason why this is so important to understand is because this is a guy that's an outcast. This is a guy who's not allowed to be part of the community of Israel. When he goes to church, everybody knows this guy. So he's an Ethiopian. Most Bible scholars believe this is the first mention of an African-American in the Bible. First mention. So you see this Ethiopian showing up, and he's a eunuch. So he's a Gentile. And he's the guy who, you know what, you do not belong in this community. And God sends Philip to minister to that guy. See, God cares about the outcasts. God cares about the one who's been kicked out. God cares about the one who everybody else thinks is spiritually unclean. The one that everybody else thinks is a misfit. The one that everybody else thinks is a lost cause. The one that everybody else thinks is, is a loser. God cares about that guy or gal. And God reaches out to this Ethiopian eunuch. That's what I love about it. You know, the gospel is colorblind. The gospel is colorblind. I know we're not. We're not. <clears throat> we see white. We see black. We see mahogany. I get it. Uh, we're not. <clears throat> but the gospel is colorblind. The gospel's for everyone. It's for every race, every tribe, every nation. Jesus is for everyone. He's for your coworker. He's for your neighbors. He's for your haters. Jesus is for everyone. He's for, some of you might, and you need to hear this, Jesus is for your ex. <clears throat> Jesus is for everyone. God cares about every soul. I love this picture because this is our, our Feed 8000 event. We, we culminate it at, at, at the, the Renaissance Apartment Complex, which is managed by the Colorado Coalition of the Homeless, and we do church in their parking lot once a year. And it's a blast. And we feed a whole bunch of people. Feed a whole bunch of people. Kent Hughes says this. There are all kinds of chance meetings ready to take place in a life that is sensitive and obedient to God's leading. 
Isn't that good? Have you ever been part of a chance meeting that God was in it? You ever been part of a meeting like that? Where you just show up? One thing you need, if you want to be part of a meeting like that, first thing you have to do is surrender yourself completely to Jesus Christ. Surrender yourself completely to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Ask God to include you in what he is doing. God's at work with every soul around you, and you'll know it. It's a meeting, it's a chance meeting that's bigger than you. It's bigger than you. And you have to know when God wants you to speak. You have to know. God is placing you strategically in this chance meeting, and God has a word for that person that you're going to be talking to. It's a chance meeting. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, here it is, so you have this Ethiopian, right? And he's reading out of what book was it? The book of what? Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So this carriage apparently was not moving very fast. It probably didn't have like Goodyear tires and good shocks or anything like that. It was just rattling along, and Philip is just walking alongside of it. And God tells Philip, I want you to eavesdrop in this conversation. I want you to just listen. So he's listening. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? What a bold question. It's the last time you just talk to a stranger. <clears throat> you hear someone processing and working through a difficult time. Ooh, do you have the guts to say, hey, I couldn't help but overhearing. We're, we're crossing lines, aren't we? We're, we're, real, we're real cautious about that kind of stuff. We live in a culture that says keep your faith private. But hurting people. Just need love. Just need love. So Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And look what he says in verse 31. The man replied, let's read this bold out loud, guys. How? Wow. Wow. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit down with him. You know what this verse tells us right here? <clears throat> that there are times when we need someone to guide us. There are times when we need someone to say, hey, can you help me out? There are times. And there are times when our understanding is limited. Our theology is limited. It also says this, that you, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of God, a follower of Jesus, then you have a responsibility to come along people and guide them and help them. You're a torchbearer. John Phillips said it like this, we're not called upon to witness to everyone we meet but we are called upon to speak to those who have been prepared by the Holy Spirit. In my early days when I came to know Jesus uh, at the age of 18, um, I was, I'm still white hot excited about Jesus, but 
I would talk to everyone about Jesus. Grace, my wife, will tell you. I mean, it was embarrassing for her. I mean, whether I was at the grocery store or at 7-Eleven, I would tell everyone about it. I was the guy that you probably wouldn't want to hang out with because you'd be like, Reuben, just, you know, chill out, you know, cool the burners. You don't need to do that. And as I walk with God, I've, I've, I've discovered the timing of, of God. I've discovered the spiritual condition of people. Some people aren't ready to hear a message that God loves them. Some people don't have a teachable spirit. Some people are gripped by stubbornness or pride. Some people are just not ripe like a fruit. They're just not ripe. And I've discovered, I've, I've learned to identify a ripe soul. And you can do the same thing if you ask God to let you, to use you. You can do the same thing. There are times when God says, speak to him. And it may be that server that's helping you out. And it may start with a conversation about their tattoo. It may be a conversation at, at the clerk or whatever it is. It may be a conversation with your neighbor. It may be a conversation with your friend. But there is a moment right there in that moment when you have an opportunity to join what God is doing. It's the greatest adrenaline rush you'll ever experience to be part of what God is doing. You can save a life from hell, literally. That person may be on the verge of suicide. That person may be on the verge of leaving their home. That person may be on the verge of whatever. And God will put you in that place. When God sees that you're faithful and you can be trusted, he'll use you and you'll learn to identify those ripe situations. God will teach you. I think about all the people who have helped us. We needed a helping hand as well. We have a lot of ministry partners, a lot of ministry partners. This is a picture right here of Legacy Christian Fellowship. This is where we feed 8,000 people out of his church every November. And we do it there because he's way down on 88th Street and Washington, and it's a perfect location for us to do that. But we have other churches who partner with us during these seven years of being portable. Mountain States Baptist Church. Gosh, they let us do our youth group there and, and membership classes have been there. Women events, we use their parking lot all the time. Summit of Peace Lutheran Church. That's right by Horizon High School. That's where our Food for Hope program works out of. Every Monday they put together bags and every Friday they deliver them to the schools. And Summit of Peace also lets the staff meet in their building every Monday from 9 a.m. to 12. Summit of Peace, God bless them. Genesis Church, every Monday they'd let us use their staffing. We had staffing at their place for a while, and then we, always, we still did worship rehearsal practices in their building, in their building. They're the church that's actually leaving the space that we're taking, so I want you to pray for them. It's a tough situation for them. North Metro Church, this is a church, uh, James Wagstaff's a friend of mine, and, and he allowed us our school, when we had a school, for 18 months, he allowed our school to be in his building. Village Baptist Church on 128th Street. We had a youth group there for about a year. And, and Pastor Glenn Gilpin, super nice guy, he let us use his building. The Gathering Church on 120th, right by the Wendy's there. It, it, it's, it, that church right there housed our preschool when we had a preschool for one full year. Check this out. The Arbor Square Apartments. <laughs> the Arbor Square Apartments. This is off the Orchard Mall. 
You have those really nice apartments right there on the north side. Well, they have a patio and a meeting, and our staff met there for about six months or so. This, I mean, it's really, really nice, incidentally, and they eventually kicked us out. But it was really, really nice at the time. The Adams County Economic Offices, am I saying that right? Adams County, you can, you'll tell me later. But this is, this is through Angie. We've had, this is an office space right by where you get your license plates renewed and all of that. We've used that office space for women events, for women events. And they never caught us, ever, ever. So we just kept using it. <laughs> <laughs> the Westminster Crossing Church. That's on 104th. It used to be Westminster Church of the Nazarene. They let us use their building for kids' event, and we had a church board meeting there. Heritage Todd Creek golf club clubhouse there. Where do you go, Dan? Dan helped us out with this. We met there. Our church board meetings were at this golf club. Um, countless homes and coffee shops. Go ahead and go to the coffee shops. God bless all these coffee shops that we've used. Go ahead, Blaine. Uh, coffee shops that we've used. And I want, I want to share that there's been many, many partners during this time of us being a mobile church. Back to the passage, Acts chapter 8. The passage of Scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? Who is this prophecy about? What's his name? Jesus. Look at it again. Verse 32. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, yet he did not open his mouth. This is a picture of our Lord going to the cross. This is a picture of our Lord going to experience the I'm going to just read Isaiah chapter 53. Go to verse 5, Blaine. It says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was brought, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Glory to God. Salvation comes from the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You know, the cross is evidence that there's a right and there's a wrong. The cross is evidence that there's a right and there's a wrong. What Jesus did in this world 2,000 years ago is evidence that there's a right and there's a wrong. And Jesus goes to the cross for our wounds, for our sin, so that we could experience the grace of God. And this is what motivates Thorn Creek Church. This idea that this holy God loves all of us. This is what, let's go to the next picture there, Blaine. This is what motivates Thorn Creek Church. It's this idea that this holy God cares about every soul. He cares about every soul. And that's why we, you know, have for the last seven years... (laughs) We've been setting up with chairs and curtains and we got fans blowing and we do all this because there's this crazy idea that God is going to entrust us with souls that are broken and need Jesus. And we do this because of that. That's our motivation. That's our motivation. And the Holy Spirit works through all of it. This is what motivates us.
It was while, think about this, it was while we were portable that we started a program called Food for Hope. While we were portable. It wasn't when we had a building. It's while we were portable. And today we now feed 11 schools. We feed kids who require lunch assistance every weekend. It was while we were portable that we decided to love on the Renaissance apartment complex. While we were portable. And it was while we were portable that we developed this relationship with the Colorado Coalition of the Homeless. It was while we were portable we decided to help our environment and we adopted two streets and we pick up all the trash on, on Washington and 136. It was while we were portable that we developed this disaster relief ministry. And we go out of Colorado and we partnered with American Furniture Warehouse and we've sent two semi-trucks to Joplin, Missouri, Joplin, Oklahoma, excuse me, and more, no, it was Joplin, Missouri and more Oklahoma. There it is, Joplin, Missouri, more Oklahoma, and then Houston, Texas for flood victims. It was while we were portable. It was while we were portable that we continue to reach out to Peru and love on this little church in Igritos, Peru, and through Compassion International. And we've now sponsored well over 100 children at $38 a month. And now for the last eight years, you can do the math. That's thousands of dollars right there, guys. All these programs cost money. All these programs cost money, but it was while we were portable. And I'm saying that to you, to you because sometimes when you go through the desert roads of life, our tendency is, is you know what? I'm just going to maybe I'm going to cruise. I'm just, I'm, we go into survival mode. But, but God has a plan for you. And while we were portable, I made a commitment. I said, you know what? We're not going to be a church that's going to call success just doing church on weekends. We're going to be a church that continues to do ministry. And we're going to grow during the time while we're portable. We're going to grow in our ministry areas. I like what Austin Hurt said. He sent this email to me. He said, I associate being portable with being in a position of vulnerability and instability. Do you operate at a higher level when your back is against the wall? When you're hungry? I do. I believe that the church as a whole has done that, especially the pastor, staff, and volunteers. We are hungry to make God's church stronger. Isn't that cool? I love it. I appreciate that quote. He's, he, he got it. He got it. He got it. Let's go back to Acts Verse 34 says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me what the prophet is talking about, himself or someone else. So he reads this passage in Isaiah, and the Ethiopian is asking the question, so are we, is he talking about Isaiah? Is this like, is he a third person thing? Is he talking about him? Or is there someone else? He doesn't say, or is it Jesus? He says, is it someone else? And look what happens, verse 35. So beginning with this same scripture, let's read that bold out loud. So beginning, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. The NASB, another Bible version, says it like this. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And that's super important because I want you to recognize what Philip is doing. This is a, he's sharing his faith. And it, this is something, this is a strategy that all of us who call Jesus Lord can do. How do you share your faith with someone? We do it the Philip way. Here it is. How do you share your faith with them? Let's go to that slide. First thing is this. You start with they are at, with, with where they're at. What does Philip do? 
Philip starts with where the Ethiopian is reading. That's where he starts. He starts with Isaiah. We could all do this. When you talk to someone and you're getting to know them and they're saying, right now I'm having problems with money or right now I'm having problems in my marriage or right now I'm struggling with depression or right now I have this addiction or whatever it is, start with where they are at and talk about that marriage or that addiction or that problem. Start there and then work towards and use scripture. Use scripture and bring up Jesus. Bring up Jesus. That's what Philip does. He starts with where he was at. And then he goes through scripture. Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need. I love Mike's smile. Jesus is all you need. That picture of that man right there on the screen, there's a man right there that God worked in his life and you're going to see a whole testimony on him down the road. It's beautiful. His marriage of over 40 years and how the Lord saved him. Beautiful. Emily Stromquist said this, my children know nothing but a mobile church and still love it the same. Isn't that good? sort of children. That's all her children know. Yeah, she also said this. She said, I always think about setting up and tearing down at Stargate while pregnant with Elin. I used to help with production stuff back then. I remember pulling heavy cords across the floor with my huge belly. And Pastor Reuben was like, should you be doing that? I just laughed because he seemed like genuinely concerned I was going to go into labor right then and there. <clears throat> I also, also, I will never forget being repeatedly encouraged watching people who attended the last service, kids and adults, jump in and help clean up. My own kids tried to fold up and put away chairs when the chairs were bigger than them. Let go. Look what happens, verse 36. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Hey, what kind of road were they on? So what does that mean? If it's a desert road, what does that mean? It's a... I'm going to blow your mind right now here, guys. <clears throat> what are the chances that God just orchestrated that whole thing beautifully? The timing of it. Hey, Philip, go down south. Go through that desert road. Don't go by the King's Highway. Hey, oh, here you go. Here's this Ethiopian. Walk up to it. You hear him reading? Yeah. Talk to him. Just talk to him. Have a conversation with him. And check this out. God knew exactly when that Ethiopian would say, I want to be a Christian. get baptized and he knew exactly because it's a desert road and there was this pool of water and it was enough water apparently to baptize him it wasn't like a one you know one inch puddle I mean it was enough for him to get baptized and God just knew he's such a loving God he's such a loving God verse verse 37 is really interesting if you look in your Bible, there's a good chance your Bible will go from verse 36 to verse 38. 
depends on the version you read. Look at it. Verse 37 is a verse that was not in, that was not in early manuscripts in the Bible. And it was added. Verse 37 says this, And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So you see it in brackets. It says a lot about their understanding of conversion. Their understanding of conversion. Stephen Cole said this, But even though the verse is not original to Acts, the eunuch must have given some, some such confession of his faith in Christ. Or Philip would not have baptized him. The difference between this man's genuine faith and Simon's false faith, that's Simon the sorcerer, the magician. Remember last week I did a card trick. And Simon's faith was that the eunuch's faith came from God, whereas Simon's faith came from himself. Verse 38 says this. He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water. Isn't that beautiful? They went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. Philip baptized him. What's baptism? It's a picture of your new relationship with Jesus. You're dead to yourself and you're alive in Christ. Your old life is gone and your new life and you're a new creation in Christ and behold all things are new. That's baptism. We love doing baptisms here. Incidentally, as a portable church, it's been really, really difficult to get hot water. I'm just telling you. Hot water. We have all kinds of stories of trying to get hot water into the gyms that we've been in. Hear this. God will provide the water at the exact time you need it. This was us in Houston. God will provide the water at the exact time you need it. This Ethiopian gets baptized. He places in faith his faith in Jesus. Guess what's going to happen in Africa? Guess who's going to become a missionary to Africa? Guess who's going to go to Africa and go talk to all the other Ethiopians and tell them about Jesus? Here, check this out, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, let's read the bold out loud, the Spirit. Yeah, you're like, does that mean what I think it means? Yeah, it does. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I mean, imagine this this eunuch like going down, you know, this Ethiopian going down, and Philip is in the water with him. And he goes down, he comes up, and he's like all by himself in a puddle of water. You know what the lady's like, where did he go? The Lord snatched him away. Like spiritually, just, I mean, I know you won't believe this, I get it. Like just spiritually, like he vanishes into thin air. He's supernaturally transported. He's gone. You think that would solidify this Ethiopian's faith even more? He's gone. And verse 7, verse, last verse is this. Meanwhile, verse 40. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotos. Some scholars have said that's about 38 miles away. About 38 miles. So he vanished supernaturally. He went down. Philip baptized him in the name of Jesus. He gets up. 
Philip is supernaturally transported about 37 miles away. And then what does Philip Philip do? He preaches the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Beautiful. Just vanishes. Just poof. God can do anything he wants. He can do anything he wants. Jesus, thank you for your presence. Oh, thank you for your word. You're so good. And right now, God, I just uh, pray that you have your way. If you're here right now and you want to ask Jesus into your heart, would you just say this prayer? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Be my God. Maybe you're here and you consider yourself a Christian, but maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you need to say this prayer. God, I repent. I turn to you. I need you, God. I need you. Put the passion of Philip inside of me. Put your spirit, put your Holy Spirit inside of me. Give me a new strength that I haven't had. Give me a new joy I haven't had. Work in my home, in my life. Be my God. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you're moving here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.